will keep your Bibles open this morning and move them over to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. And it is good to see you today on the occasion of America's highest and holiest holiday. The Super Bowl. And your nervous laughter confirms the truth of what I just said. Psalm 99 is uh, the number six of what we call the enthronement psalms in the fourth book of the Psalter. Remember I told you the psalms are divided into five sections. And so in the fourth section, we have some enthronement psalms, Psalm 93 and then Psalms 95 through 99. So this is the last one. And they all celebrate God as this sovereign, creating, sustaining, redeeming, majestic, holy God. And there is the possibility, remember I told you early on that, that all of the Psalms were probably sung. There was probably a tune to, the, to all the Psalms, number one. Number two, the Psalms were written for the corporate worship of the people, so they were used in the worship of the temple. And once a year, they took the Ark of the Covenant, which was the little container that symbolized God's presence, and in kind of a processional fashion, they, they took it and replaced it into the Holy of Holies, which was that place that the high priest went into in the temple once a year and offered that annual sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And the people believed that God was sitting on his throne on top of the Holy of Holies, and he was enthroned in the temple. So this was kind of a liturgy, a worship experience of reminding them that God is this holy king that is ruler over all the earth. So this psalm might have been read as a poem or sung in that annual event of enthroning God and reminding the people that he's the king. So Let's read the psalm, and I may stop along the way just to remind you of what a couple of things mean to give some explanation. Verse 1 of Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. So what's our reaction? Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Those are those winged uh, angelic beings. So let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. Now, Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob, and that's another name for Israel, the people of Israel. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. So exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. And for the second time, we have the refrain, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship 
at his holy mountain. Now, again, a reference to Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know you climb three or 4,000 feet to get to the top. It really is a mountain. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. And finally, for the third time, we have the refrain, for the Lord our God is holy. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you may have had an experience in your life where you have been in the presence of someone who is fairly well-known and somewhat famous. So you look back and you kind of monitor, what was my reaction to being in the presence of someone that was well-known and famous, and how did other people around me react? Let me take you back to the year of 1999. You will recall that Hurricane Floyd came through eastern North Carolina. And this was the second Sunday following Floyd having come through and wrecked such devastation. You remember the the flooding, all the flooding that took place? We couldn't even get out of Pitt County for a couple of days and lost electricity. We didn't have any water for a while. And so I remember that that Sunday morning, Uh, This was the 11 o'clock service. It was back when we were doing three morning worship services, 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11 o'clock. So I was preaching in the old sanctuary, now our multi-purpose room. And I was just beginning, I just stood up to begin the sermon, had read the scripture, and, and I remember thinking to myself, now if you've ever done any public speaking, you know what I'm talking about. There's a part of your brain that runs and tells your lips what to say. Okay, you with me? But then there's a part of your brain that's also running that's saying, oh, this is happening or that is happening. You know, you know, it's monitoring what's going on in the environment as well. So my brain was, you know, telling my lips what to say in the sermon. But there was another part of my brain that was churning. And it was saying there's a woman that's seated about halfway back on the inside of the center aisle in the old sanctuary And I remember thinking, that woman looks very familiar. Who in the world is this lady? So, you know, I kept on preaching. And I remember towards the end of the sermon, you know, the the brain's churning, the lips are moving. But the other side of the brain is saying, I know who that lady looks like. She looks exactly like U.S. Senator Elizabeth Dole from North Carolina. So, you know, we sang the hymn of invitation and shared announcements or maybe some decisions. And then I recall walking down the center aisle of the old sanctuary, and I had my hand up pronouncing the benediction. And about the time I got to that lady who looked like Senator Elizabeth Dole from North Carolina, I was pronouncing the benediction. My brain was telling my lips what to say. And I remember the other part of my brain started churning, and it said, Oh, my gracious, that is Senator Elizabeth Dole of North Carolina. Oh my, I've just preached a sermon in front of a United States senator. I've never done that before. And sure enough, she was here in Greenville that day, touring eastern North Carolina, checking out what was going on. And for some reason, still unknown, she decided to show up at the 11 o'clock service at Oakmont. Now, this is the thing. I never got to meet her. It must have been a really bad sermon that day. Somehow she never came by the door, but 
there was a buzz. There was a buzz in the congregation that day because a United States senator from North Carolina was, was in our midst. There was quite a buzz. Well, you know, meeting someone of prominence can create a variety of reaction when you're dealing with that fame. It can be some mild, contained excitement all the way to the video clips of the 1960s when the Beatles hit this country. And you look at the old video clips and the girls in the audience are shaking and they're screaming and they're going crazy because of the Beatles. In fact, that happened with a lot of the rock bands of the 1960s and 70s. If you're an Eagles fan, you need to check out the CNN film on the Eagles because the girls are screaming for them too. That was just on TV a couple of uh, uh, nights ago. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 99 wants people to have a similar experience with God when they come to worship Him. The psalmist wants the worshiper to have a sense of excitement, to have a sense of awe. On occasion, it's okay to even shake and tremble in the midst of the holy God. Let's go back for a moment to the psalm and just See how this holy, majestic, awesome, mighty God is the God who answers our prayers. He forgives our sin. He's worthy of our worship. Listen one more time, just part of the psalm. The Lord reigns. What's our response? Let the nations tremble. Just picture in your mind the girls trembling and screaming at the Beatles. If you want a little bit about what we need to have here. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. We're in the presence of the famed and great and holy God. Great is the Lord in Zion. He's exalted all over all of the nations. Let them praise the great name, the great and awesome name. Why? For he is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. So exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Why? For he is holy. And then it ends in verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. Why? For the Lord our God is holy. You know what that word holy means? In Hebrew, the word holy means different and unique. In Hebrew, the, wor the word for holy means set apart. The word means sacred. God is different from all of the other gods the Hebrew people have been tempted to think about and enticed to worship and give their allegiance and loyalty to. This God, this Yahweh God, is a God who is holy. He's different from all the others. He's separate. He's unique. He's set apart. He's sacred. He is worthy of our worship because He is the creating God. He's the redeeming God. He's the sustaining God. He's the judging God. When you walk into His presence, He's holy. Don't forget that. You know, sometimes I wonder if we really understand what a great and holy God He is. 
Isn't it interesting? We go crazy and tremble with excitement and awe over rock stars and politicians and entertainers and act, actors and actresses, over our favorite sports figure, whether it's a player or a coach. If old Cam Newton walked down the center aisle this morning and gave us the dab, wow, right in our midst. I mean, we just go crazy. Our knees knock and they get weak when we're in their presence. But how many of us, when we walk into this room on a Sunday, into our Holy of Holies, how many of us almost have an attitude of, well, here I am for worship again, so let me have it. Give give me the music that I like. Preach me a pretty decent sermon. Pray those prayers that usher me right into God's presence. Do those other acts of worship. Just entertain me. Give it to me. How many of us walk into this room and forget that we've walked into the presence of the holy God? Because you see, the psalmist idea about worship is entirely different from what our idea of worship is sometimes. You see, the psalmist's idea of worship is that it's not about me. The psalmist's idea about worship is that it's not at all about what I like. Whether it has to do with music or the scripture that's read or what's said in a sermon or the anthem that the choir sings or how we do communion or the temperature in the room. Worship is not about me or what I like. It's not about anything but this holy, majestic, creating, sustaining, and justice-orienting God who is unique, who is different, who is sacred, who is holy. He's set apart. It's all about Him. So you see, when we enter this room and we come together as God's people with the intent to worship Him, we better mean business. We better walk into this room prepared to let the Spirit of God search our hearts to eradicate the sin and the selfishness. We better walk into this room prepared to praise God and to thank Him for being our holy God. We better walk into this room and not take Him for granted. We better not come into this room and worship Him half-hearted. We walk into this room and we go at it whole hog because he is holy. He's the holy God and he is worthy of our praise. Now, you know, when you have a theophany, you had a theophany lately. A theophany. A theophany, theos is God and then P-H-A-N-Y comes from the Greek word which means appearance or manifestation. A theophany is when God shows himself to you, when God appears to you, when God does something in your life to rock you and to roll you and to change you and to transform you and to remind you that he's God and you're not. That's a theophany. When you have a theophany, when God really shows himself to you, things do change. In fact, 
Your countenance changes. Your face changes. Your attitude, your heart, your life, your actions, all of that changes. It's kind of interesting. We read that scripture this morning from Exodus 34. And Moses, remember, has gone up to Mount Sinai. He's gone up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights to receive the law on the two tablets. And he comes back down and his, his chief assistant, Aaron, has led the people to make that golden calf that they're, they're now worshiping. And Moses is so disgusted and frustrated that he takes those stone tablets and throws them down and they crumble into pieces. And then he melts that golden calf down and takes the gold material that's left and pours it into water and makes the people drink it. Boy, he's a mean-spirited pastor, isn't he? And then he goes back up to the mountain and he gets those tablets that God writes with his own fingers again. And the text says that we read this morning, this is interesting, that Moses' face, three times it says Moses' face was radiant. It was radiant. In fact, it was so brilliant and bright and radiant from standing in the presence of the holy God who is the light of the world, who just spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light in Genesis 1. Moses, when he came out, he had to put on some kind of scarf, some, some, something to cover his face because his face was so radiant. It was so brilliant. Because he had been standing in the presence of the Holy God and it not only changed his life, but it was reflected in his face. And then we read the scripture from Luke 9 about Jesus and his transfiguration. He takes a couple of his disciples, goes up to some mountain. We don't know the location. And there Moses and Elijah appear to him. And the text says that as Jesus and Moses and Elijah stood in the presence of God, the Holy God, it says in verse 29 that the appearance of his face, Jesus' face, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Whew, that's bright. You know, when you open yourself up to the holy God, when you open yourself up to worship him, when you treat him as he deserves to be treated, he is the holy, different, separate, sacred, set-apart God of the universe. When you open yourself up to worship that God, he'll change your life. He'll change your life, and he will change your countenance, and you'll have a radiant face. And guess what? Others will be inquisitive about the source of that radiance and that change in your life. They say that the face and the eyes are the gateway to the heart. The face and the eyes are the gateway to the heart. So I'm wondering this morning, what and who do people see when they look at your face? What and who do people see when they look at your face? And maybe more importantly, what and who do people see when they look at your life? Do they see the radiance of the holy God? 
reflecting and shining off of your face in your life? Do people see Jesus in you? Do people see the heart, the spirit, the action, the worldview of the Son of God who was sent by His holy heavenly Father? What do they see when they look at you? This morning, I want to invite you to take a moment to confess the sin of your life. You know, when we enter the presence of the Holy God, He is a God who cannot look on sin unless it is covered by the redeeming and atoning sacrifice of Jesus on that cross for us. So the first thing we have to do is we have to confess our sin before him. So I want to invite you to take a moment of silent prayer and to name and to confess the sin of your life and to also offer up to him those places where you're struggling, those places that scare you, those places that frustrate you or challenge you, and you need God's help in the coming week. My gracious, you need his help right this second. And you need to ask for it. And you need to claim his presence. So let's take this time of prayer to receive God's strength and God's forgiveness. Let's pray together. Oh God, this morning we do affirm and proclaim that you are the holy God. You are that unique, different, set-apart, sacred creator, sustainer, redeemer, and justice-bringing God. And God, we move into your presence and we understand how small we are and how big you are. And we thank you for it. We thank you, God, for sending Jesus into the world. We thank you for his sacrificial and atoning death on that cross. For the fact that as we even now have confessed and named our sins, as the scripture says, you were faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And not just our sin, God, but our very lives, we offer up to you and ask you to redeem us and to help us and to transform us. Whatever our struggle is in this moment, whatever our fears, whatever our challenges, whatever it is that breaks our heart, God, we know that you're bigger than anything that can crush us. And so we commit ourselves to you. So as we prepare now to come, and in just a moment to receive the bread, we ask God that you would use that bread to Nourish us spiritually to remind us of your son's gift for us on that cross of Calvary. So we offer our prayers and we receive your love and your mercy now. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers in Christ, the peace of Christ be with you.